scripture is from John chapter 15, uh, verses 9 to 17. So I'll read. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Writing in the fourth century BC, Aristotle was talking about friendship, and one of the things he said was, human beings can't be friends with the gods. He was saying, basically, look, when you pick a friend, you're looking for somebody that you have something in common with, something that you can talk about and connect on. And Aristotle's thought was the gods are so different from human beings, there's such a distance that it would be impossible for a human to be friends with God or the gods. He was saying you can worship God, you can obey them, but you can't be friends with them. Look at verse 14 of our passage. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, according to Christian teaching, says, you are my friends. Stunning declaration. You're my friends. This theme about friendship with the divine or friendship with God is actually repeated throughout the Bible. As early as the story of Abraham, we're told Abraham was a friend of God. Moses, when he was leading God's people out of Egypt and helping them get established as God's covenant people, God said, I speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Friendship with God. This theme repeated over and over again ultimately finds its greatest expression in the teaching of Jesus because it's one thing for Abraham, this great spiritual giant, or Moses, a great leader, to be called friends with God. But here in John 15, Jesus is saying that the ordinary Christian life, the experience of any person who's a follower of Jesus, is to be ushered into friendship with God. Now, if you've been here at RCL for the past couple of Sundays, you know that we've been looking at John 15. We've been talking about what it means to grow in Christ, to have an identity shaped by Jesus. And what we've said each week is that growing in Christ is abiding in him, making our home in him, this beautiful reality that to be a Christian, you are in Jesus and Jesus lives in you. And all of that is important as it is. It can sound a little abstract, abide and dwell in union. What does that mean? Well, it's as if Jesus said, you want me to show you what it means practically? It's friendship. The heart of the Christian life, the wonder of the Christian life 
is that to be a Christian is to be ushered into friendship with God. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about today, friendship with God. As I talk, there will be some obvious implications to friendship with other people, and we are going to be talking about friendship that we share amongst ourselves over the course of the year at RCL. But today we're coming face to face with this stunning truth that Christians are those who've been ushered into friendship with God. Jesus says, you are my friend. So in this passage, I want to show you three things today. First, the foundation for our friendship with God. Second, the path for friendship with God. And then third, the power we need for friendship with God. So foundation, path, and power. Let's take a look. First, what is the foundation for your friendship with God? And the answer is the foundation is the gospel. It's the gospel. Look with me, if you would, at verse 9. This is the first verse that we read today. Look at what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. When you read the Bible, if you're like me, chances are you just fly right over stuff like that. You just zoom right by. But look at it again. As the Father has loved me, says Jesus, so have I loved you. That truth, if you branded it onto your heart, would change your life forever. That Jesus is saying, the way God the Father loves me, that's how I love you today. Think about it. How does God the Father love God the Son? Well, God the Father is infinite, eternally perfect. And God the Son, the object of his love, is infinitely perfect. And so the love that the Father must share for the Son must be a love of infinite perfection. A love that has no beginning, a love that has no end, a love that never changes, a love that is strong and stable and enduring and perfect. Our loves are far from perfect, aren't they? You ever been frustrated by your inability to love well? Have you ever discovered in a relationship, maybe a romantic one or a friendship, that initially what felt like strong attraction to another person turned out to be that you were really actually just loving yourself? You were loving how that person made you feel or what that person brought into your life, the stuff you got from them. And the moment those things started to fade, your love started to fade. Why? Because you were loving self more than you were actually loving another person. Or sometimes there are things that compete with our love. We might want to love our family, but we also want to love and do well in our job. And so there's always competition. Sometimes our love are just out of balance. Have you ever felt like someone likes you a lot more than you like them? That's a weird feeling, right? It's hard to navigate that. You see, throughout our life, there's all kinds of ways in which our loves, we realize, are far from what they should be. But the infinitely perfect father, looking at his infinitely perfect son, that's a love that is beyond perfection. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of love that I have for you. This day, if you're in Jesus, if you abide in him, if you are in Christ, the love that God in Jesus feels for you is the same love that the father feels for his son. If you really believe that, I don't mean if you just heard a pastor talk about it, but if that truth was at the center of your soul, it would change everything. 
Because you would live in this world as a person who knows they are infinitely loved by an infinitely perfect being, personally. This kind of love, it's unconditional, meaning it's a love that's not based on merit. God loves you not because of what you bring to him or give to him, but because you're his. It's a genuinely unconditional. It's also a, a, what you might call a knowing love. You know, sometimes we're afraid to show people who we really are because we think if they see us, they won't keep loving us. But what's the best kind of love? When you can be fully seen and still know that you're accepted. And that's the kind of love that God has for us in Jesus. It's also, you might say, a complete love, a a love that will never run out. You see, sometimes loving people, especially as they go through hard things or maybe they're difficult people, it's easy for love to wane, love to a limit. But the love of the Father for the Son, that love for his people, that's a love that knows no ends. It's the love of friendship. Because genuine friendship says, I'm with you to the end no matter what. The harder it gets, the closer I come. And that, Jesus is saying, that love that God the Father has for me, that's how I love you. Friends, this is the gospel. My old pastor used to say, and I can't think about love from God without thinking about it. My old pastor used to say, the gospel is not God loves you as much as you deserve. You see, if God loved us as much as we deserve, then we'd constantly be looking at our performance and say, if I obey this much, then that's how much God's going to love me. If I do the right things, if I read my Bible, if I show up to church, then God's going to love me. He loves me to the degree that I deserve. And if you believe that, then you will always be fragile and your identity will feel exhausted because you'll always wonder, have I done enough or have I run out of his patience? The gospel is not he loves you as much as you deserve. The gospel is right here in our passage. He loves you as much as Jesus deserved. To be a Christian is to be covered, clothed in Jesus. Such that when the father looks at you, he sees the absolute sterling perfection of his son. And his love for you is based on that. And therefore, it's a love that you can't run out of. It's a love you can't escape. It's a love you can't shake. It's a love that's with you to the end, come what may. That's a love of friendship. You see, a real friend says, I'm with you to the end. And all of our human friendships, they all point to this one. It's the gospel that's the foundation of our friendship with God. And what does that lead to? Well, it leads to the path of friendship. That is, as we walk in friendship with God, what does it look like? And here's the answer. Joyful obedience. You see, if the gospel has brought you into friendship with God, then living out one's friendship with God looks like joyful obedience. Look with me again at the passage. Again, John 15. Five times the word command or commands appear. Five times. It's there, for example, in verse 10, maybe the main first place. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Now, let's be really clear about this. So crucial. Jesus isn't saying, if you obey my commands, if you do what I say, you earn my love. That's contrary to the gospel. We just talked about that. But what's Jesus saying? If you keep my commands or obey my commands, 
you get to enjoy and experience my love. Do you remember last week we talked about if you were here, abiding in Christ, living out our union with him? We said, mouthful, it's an objective reality that's meant to be subjectively experienced. That is, it's a new status that's meant to shape how you live in the world. And that's all that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you obey me, if you keep my commands, you're going to enjoy and to experience my love to the degree that you do that. Don Carson, who's a New Testament scholar, puts it this way. However much God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, yet the continued enjoyment of that love turns at least in part on our response to it. So Jesus is saying, look, you want to enjoy and experience my love? Obey my commands. So what are God's commands? Well, we don't have time to explore this topic in fullness today because God's commands are all over the Bible. You can think maybe most famously of the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament, or you could even think about Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus says, look, the real commands of God, it's more than just behavior modification. It's about a supernaturally changed heart. The commands, the teaching of God for how people are meant to live in the world. And make no mistake, you can't earn God's salvation by keeping commands, but God does give commands. And as modern people, we bristle at that. We don't actually love the idea of an authority figure telling us what we should value or how we should use our time or our bodies or our money or our words or our power. We don't want someone from the outside telling us how to live giving us commands and giving us their teaching. We bristle at the idea of commands and authority. One scholar, Tara Isabella Burton, has a book called Self-Made, and she looks how all the way from the time of Da Vinci to the Kardashians, people are creating and curating their own identity and image. We create who we are. We project to the world who we want to be. And no one gets to tell us how to live or what we should think is important or what we should do with our stuff. And she writes in her book, she says, our cultural moment, in the English-speaking world at least, is one in which we are increasingly called to be self-creators. That is, people who yearn not just to make ourselves a gift to the world, but just to make ourselves, period. What she's saying is something that you subconsciously experience every day. We live in a world where the message of our culture is, you do you. Be what you want, believe what you want, and if you want a little bit of Jesus, go ahead, have some. But if there's parts of the Bible or if there's parts of Jesus' teaching that rub you the wrong way, you can put that aside. And you can make Jesus in your own image. And Jesus says to us in John 15, you're my friends. And if you want to experience that friendship, if you want to experience my love, obey my commands. Not some of them, not the ones that are culturally appropriate to you, not the ones that give you warm fuzzies, but all of them. Why? Jesus is presenting an idea that's sort of assumed throughout the Bible. Again, it's difficult for modern people, but here's his idea. God is in charge. God made the world. And if God made the world, if God made you, then your life is not a free-for-all. There is a design to things. 
There is a way things are meant to be. And living in accord with his teaching best reflects that. So, if you were to go to the store after church today to buy a new watch, and you say, look, a new watch, isn't this great? And then you were to take that watch home and say, you know, I need to hang a photo on my wall. So I'm going to use my new watch to bang a nail into the wall in order to hang my picture. So you grab your new watch, and this is such a great watch, and you smash it against the nail, and the watch shatters, and the nail doesn't move. If you were to then say, geez, this is not a great watch after all, we'd have to say to you, no, the watch was fine. That was user error. You were using in a way that was completely contradictory to its design. And when you go against the fabric of what something was created for, it falls apart and it creates splintering in the world. And Jesus is saying, If you want to experience friendship with me, if you want to experience my love, obey my teaching because I made everything. I know how it works. I know what it's designed to do. And the more you put yourself under my kingship, the more you'll experience joy and flourishing in your life. In fact, look at verse 11. He says, verse 10, keep my commands, you remain in my love. Verse 11 I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. God cares way more about your joy than you do. Way more. You think you want to be happy and be joyful? God wants that infinitely more than you do for yourself. But you know what happens? All too often we settle for things that are far less satisfying than what God intends. And Jesus says, look, if you obey me, if you keep my teaching, all of it, even the parts that are difficult for you to access or comprehend, that's the pathway towards fullness of joy. The Greek phrase, joy made complete, literally means joy overflowing, joy pouring out of your life. That's what God is after. And you say, well, how is that the case? Because you say, sometimes I have obeyed God. I've done something that he's asked me to do. And it didn't feel like joy. It felt like a death. It felt like I was dying to myself. Yes. Because sometimes for a tree to grow, a seed needs to die. And oftentimes in following God, the joy that he's trying to accomplish and produce in your life is like denying self like a seed dying that it can lead to life later. And the reason I know that The reason why you can know that is because there was a guy once who came to Jesus, Matthew chapter 22, and said to Jesus, look, there's a lot of commands. There's a lot of laws in the Bible. Which one is the most important? Like, help me focus. Like, let's narrow this down. And Jesus looked at this guy and said, look, the greatest commandment of all, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, and there's another one, it's kind of like it. Jesus said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, on those two commands, hang all of the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, is that complicated? Here's what he's saying. You want to boil down everything my law is about? Love. Love God and love other people. And the more you obey me, the more you follow my teaching, the more you submit, even when you feel like it doesn't make sense. 
You're putting yourself in the way of love. You're putting yourself in the way of joy. Even if it feels like difficulty or death in the moment, it's ultimate joy because God is the one who's made us and designed us and knows how we flourish and thrive and he's putting us in the way of love. You say, Bishan, that sounds interesting, but how can I really know? How can I know that he cares more about my joy than I do? How can I know that following him will lead to love? That leads us to the final point of our sermon. We need to see the power for friendship with God. Come with me to verse 13. Why should you obey even when it doesn't make sense? Why should you abide? Why should you dwell in Jesus? Look at verse 13. Jesus speaking the very night before his death says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know that. The most pure, beautiful kind of love is sacrificial love. And in small and big ways, we see sacrifice all the time. People who choose to put the good of someone else ahead of themselves. Do you know why when you watch a movie at the very end when the hero gives themselves up to save other people, why even cynical you is able to cry at that moment? Why I, who often don't shed tears, am crying in a cartoon when some hero gives their life for someone else? It's because I know deep down that sacrificial love is at the heart of the universe. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. Why do I know that? Because that's our ultimate story. You see, the true story to which all the other stories point is this one. Where God the Son, on the night before his death, looks at his friends and says the purest, richest, deepest, strongest kind of love in the world is to give yourself up for someone else. And in a matter of hours, Jesus did that. Not just for the friends in the room, but for you today if you believe. The infinitely perfect son of God dies as a convicted criminal in place of his people. To the degree that you see that kind of love, And I don't just mean know about it. I don't mean that you just have an awareness of it. But to the degree that with the eye of faith, Jesus dying in your place becomes real to you, your life changes. And you say, I want to be with him. I want to follow him. Look at what he did for me. And so here's how I want to close our sermon today. Power for friendship, sacrificial love, the sacrifice of Jesus for you. If you see that, if that reality gets into the center of your soul, what starts to happen in your life? Let me just show you two things, and then we're going to come to our time of response. First, if you see Jesus dying for you, it gives you a whole new motivation for obedience, a whole new motivation for obeying God. You see, for lots of people, and many of us, obeying God feels like duty. I have to obey him or else. And some of us naturally are rule keepers. And so we think this is the right thing to do. I ought to do it. And for other of us, we obey out of fear. I don't want to displease God. I don't want to not get to heaven. I don't want to make him upset. But do you realize that if the gospel is real and true, if Jesus says, I love you so much, I went to hell for you, then what that creates is a whole new motivation for obedience in which we say obeying God and keeping his teaching, it's not mere duty, it's sheer delight. 
because I want to please and give myself to the one who's given everything up for me. I mean, if I give my whole life back to him, that is an offering far too small for what he's given for me. And obedience and keeping his commands and following his teaching, even when hard, is more delight than duty. It's the response of a loving heart. John Newton, who used to pastor a church just down the street and who knew something of amazing grace, who had a life marked by profound injustice before he became a Christian, as someone who reflected on God's grace and what it means to follow him. He wrote a hymn. We know some of John Newton's hymns. We don't sing this one as much as we should. But in one of his hymns, he says this, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we've seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no more than duty's call, to love him beyond measure. And serve him with our all. Have you seen his beauty? Have you seen him dying for you? With the eye of faith, do you see him saying, I am willing to go to hell for you because of my love for you? If you really see that, then obedience is more delight than duty. We've seen his beauty. Second thing I want to say, if you see what Jesus has done, It creates a whole new hunger for spiritual disciplines. Remember last week we talked about prayer and Bible reading. We said these are the ways that you get to know and commune with Jesus. Well, think about it this way. If you have someone who's a real friend, I don't mean someone who's just an acquaintance, but someone who's your, you know, your BFF, that person in your life, you know that being with them is an end in itself. That When they want to talk, you're not thinking, oh, what can I get from them? You just want to be with them. Closeness is the thing. That's the thing. And if you hear Jesus saying, you are my friends, then you have a renewed hunger and approach for spiritual disciplines because prayer and Bible reading and coming to church and being in community, these are not check boxes to fill out in your performance, religious performance scorecard. There are ways to know your friend and to get more of his heart. And the more you see Jesus giving himself for you, the more you see him as the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The friend to whom all real friends point. You say, I want to read my Bible because I want to know him. And I want to pray because my life is increasingly complicated and I have no idea what to do. And I want to tell him about it. And I want to come to church because there's all these other people who are totally far from perfect, but they point me to him. I just want to know him. And our spiritual disciplines are not means to, they're not ends in themselves. They're means to ends because they bring us to Jesus and they make his grace more real. Thomas Brooks, who was writing about friendship and our closeness to Jesus, puts it this way. He says, faithful friends are very free in imparting their thoughts, their minds, their secrets, one to another. And so there is a power, an authority, a goodness, an efficacy, and a sweetness in the gospel that none experience except to those to whom the Lord is pleased to impart it, namely to his friends. There's nothing better than friendship with God. Because in drawing close to him, even through your spiritual disciplines, he reveals himself to you. He reveals his heart to you. He tells you, as if it were, his secrets. 
and he brings you in. I don't know what tomorrow has for you. Frankly, I don't know what five hours has for, me, for you today. Life's gonna be much better and much harder than you think. There's gonna be things that make you happy beyond all telling and things that break your heart. What good news would it be to have a friend who sticks closer than a brother? To have a friend with you in all of that, that's immensely gracious and totally wise. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sin and grief to bear. What a shame that we don't carry everything to him in prayer. This is the friend. So let's pray now and ask us to ask God to help us experience our friendship with him, even as we respond. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the gospel, which makes possible our friendship with you. We thank you for the invitation to obey you, even when it's hard, because you know best and you want us to be much more joyful than we even want for ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that in Jesus, we've been given a love that not only is more stunning than we could have ever imagined, but a love that brings us in, a sacrificial love that covers our sin and shame and guilt and brings us home with you. So help us today, right now, to respond by seeing Jesus, by surrendering to him, and by experiencing and living out our friendship with him. Do that now, we pray for your glory and for our good as we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.